Amen and amen. You can be seated. Uh, just going to tell you, I'm excited to be back here after uh, taking, I, I didn't not preach for five weeks. I just didn't preach here for five weeks, and um, I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to be back. So you guys just hang on, right? I've been saving up for this, so uh, not really. I do hope that the Word speaks. It really has nothing to do with me, um, but I pray that it's precious. As we study today from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. In a couple of weeks, we are going to be launching and taking a kind of a shift in our uh, ministry efforts, taking a major shift that's affecting much of what we've always done uh, as we launch the Equip ministry and, and seek to really bring knowledge, just to educate, to equip people with knowledge. Now, most of the work for this has been being done over the last several months, the last few months, uh, really, we've had meetings, we've talked to other leaders about it, we've sought to understand how this is going to fully affect the ministry and who we are as a people and, uh, and really what our hopes are for it. So, so there's been a lot of intensive work really since the beginning of the year that, that this began, uh, but uh, for me, I, I think really it started about two and a half to three years ago. This isn't something new that's just all of a sudden, oh, let's just do this, let's try this thing. This is something the Lord's been working out in me for, for some time. There are a number of contributing factors that led to it, and I'm not going to go into all of them. I'd be happy to talk more about this uh, in another time, another setting. It's just this number of contributing factors that we're, we're kind of highlighting this, this need in the life of our church, and it led me to begin what I kind of, co- I don't know if I coined it. I didn't, I, I probably, I, in fact, I'm almost 98, 99% positive I stole it from somebody else. I just started an equip cohort. It was a group of people. We had nine books that we were going to study and read through, uh, four uh, projects that we, we would do over the course of a year. Um, and and to, to be honest, it was really, we, we didn't know what would happen. I didn't know what would come of it. I just was expecting God to show up and do a work. And that first group that we started, just to be completely honest, just to be completely upfront about it, fell apart really quickly. Uh, the reality was that just people weren't committed to it. And so we started with, a, a, I can't even remember the number of people we started with. I don't even know if you're in this room, and I'm not trying to say anything bad if you are. I literally just can't remember who it was that started in that group. We got to the last book, to start the last book, and there was three left of the original number that started, and then we didn't even finish the last book. It's just the reality of the way that group went. But the Lord still did a foundational, formational work in me. So it wasn't fruitless. It wasn't empty. It wasn't worthless. And so what I began to see happening over the first, course, the first six months of that group, I, I kind of knew it was going to progress the way it was. I, was. I was doing everything I could to hold it together. I couldn't, I couldn't force people to study. I couldn't force people to the trough. But, but the real, reality was I was continuing trying to hold it together because of what was happening in me. But about six months into that first group, I started a second group. And just as creative as I can be, I called it Equip Cohort 2 uh, because that's me, right? I mean, it's just witty and really creative like that. Come up with great names and not really. Um, but it was the, the difference was immediately recognizable. And we had our rough spots. We had, we had struggles with, with the resources. We had people, you know, it... It's not a small thing. Um, and just so, I, I'll just, let me just say this. What we've been calling equipped cohorts has blossomed into what now is the equipped ministry. And this equipped cohort is what we're now calling the, 
uh, Christian Essentials, right? This year-long curriculum that we've broken into three sections. And, but but this, this group, it, it was obvious from the very beginning, they were hungry to know God. It was so noticeable, so distinct, so distinctly different that, that the fruit that came out of it was undeniable. I was astonished as I was seeing what was happening. And me, having already gone through this and beginning to, to just go through it again with this second group of people, the Lord just continued to work in me. I was astonished. I was so astonished, though, at the, at, at the way that, that, that this group was man, starting hungry and just growing hungrier and hungrier and hungrier to know God, that at the end of this first year, at the finishing uh, the, the first curric- year of curriculum, I had developed a second year, and they all volunteered to be in it, um, but I asked them to write testimonies. And, and as we start what we're starting in a couple of weeks, I want you to hear the testimonies, and then we'll look at the Word. I, I, it all fit together when we're finished. I'm not going to tell you who wrote these. I, I don't, I'm not here to boost their ego. Uh, I, don't, I, I just want you to hear the testimony. Before starting Equip, I wasn't sure if I was up to the challenge, but God has been faithful, and I have been blessed throughout this year. I have grown and seen others grow beyond what I anticipated. My faith has been strengthened, and I have much more confidence in sharing what I believe. There are so many things I've learned over the past year. Now, listen to what was learned. There are so many things I've learned over the past year. A few that stand out are humility, accountability, and a greater sense of His, that's God's, His mission for me. You know, the, the interesting thing is we didn't teach humility and accountability. We, we did talk about his mission, but it wasn't, we studied God. And God transformed this life that desired humility, that desired accountability, that desired his mission. There are not enough words, this is another one, there are not enough words to explain how grateful I am for the work the Lord has done in my life over the past year through the equipped group. After years of reading my Bible, feeling like I wasn't getting much out of it, this class taught me how to really study the Word and seek God's instruction in it. Anybody identify? There were sin patterns in my life as I was stuck in and felt hopeless in, and through working through some of the books in the equipped class and applying the gospel to those situations, I've experienced a freedom in Christ unlike ever before. I've gained a greater, clearer grasp of the doctrines I believe, and I feel I am much better equipped to articulate those to others. Another one. I find myself so thankful for the opportunity to walk through the equipped study. Starting the journey, I felt inadequate. Again, anybody feel? Can you identify with that? I felt inadequate and unsure about being a valuable member of the group. The books, discussions, questions, new ideas, and encouragement have shown me grace and a new appreciation for loving God and His Word. I have stepped out in many new ways throughout this year and have been given confidence to ask questions and show vulnerability. Again, we didn't study vulnerability. This is a fruit of learning to know God. This study has challenged me to truly look at, that, at the way I am letting my light shine each day as, and has pushed me to dig deeper into my own thoughts and motives. I now look forward to studying God's Word, and I am more intentional about making God a part of my everyday life. The study of God and knowing Him and His gospel work has given way to a life lived with Him more fully in focus. 
It's beautiful. It, the, the reality is it, it seems amazing to me that each of these testimonies, and truly if I read to you every one of them, you would see the same theme. They didn't come to me writing testimonies of, man, I'm glad I can define soteriology. They didn't tell me, oh, I, I can better describe the five points of Calvinism. I'm, I'm much better, I understand much better the orders, ordo salutis, and, and I, I feel much better about my view of eschatology. They, none of them said anything about that. Although the study of those things are worthwhile. Because knowing God and his will is worthwhile. And that's what transforms lives. You see, as we start this ministry, even as we talk today and look at the scripture, this is what I want you to hear. We are not seeking knowledge for knowledge's sake. We are seeking to grow in our knowledge of God as a means to an even greater end. Lives transformed by God and for God as we grow in knowing this glorious God. <laughs> and it seems, based on this prayer that we're studying from Paul today, that's exactly what he longs for this Colossian church. I would suggest if he knew our church, this would be his prayer for our church. Let's just look at what he prays. You've already read it once, or heard it read anyway, as we prayed just a few minutes ago. First, uh, verse, or Col- not first Colossians, sorry. Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14 say, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of our sins it's a very common way for paul to open his letters this is the very beginning very opening phrases of his letter to the church in Colossae. this is very common for him to open a letter in a way this way so he always opens up he says who's writing it then he tells us that i'm grateful for you and then he prays and he shares a prayer or what his common prayer is for the church and it's not just a common way for him to open the letter it's a common way for him to pray there's a reality that this is not a different prayer that he's praying for any of the other churches in fact, let me just go back. Let's just take a look at some of them. We, I, we're not going to see them all, but, but let me just show you how this is a common prayer. So he's praying for knowledge here, and, and that knowledge then gives way to stuff. Well, he says the same exact thing for the Philippian church. Philippians 1.9, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. There's wisdom, understanding. For the church in Ephesus, he prayed that the God, Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. It's a prayer for knowledge strengthened with wisdom and the revelation of God. In the Corinthian church, he thanked God. I mean, even the Corinthian church, I should say, right? Like this is, a, this is a messy group of people. He thanks God and says that in every way, 
you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. That's 1 Corinthians 1, 5. You are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. See, Paul knew how much this knowledge of God and his will made a difference in his own life. It had radically shifted his value system to, so that in writing to these other churches, he wants this knowledge to be real for them. I mean, just an example of how it changed his own life. He writes to the Philippian church that he, what, it radically upended his value system. Like, it changed everything about what he saw as valuable, what he counted gain. To the Philippians, he writes, Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, I, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of what? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now, if you go back into the context, you're going to see how he lays out his lineage, his education, his, his religion. He lays it all out. and He says, that's all rubbish. Because knowing Christ Jesus is worth so much more. See, he knew how much this knowledge of God and his will was. And he knew, he, he knew how much it was worth. And he knew how much a difference it had made in his own life that he wanted it for others. And so he prays it for the churches. But it's not just his own personal story. In the book of Romans, he lays out for us that it's a knowledge of God's will. Actually, let me say it differently. It's a rejection of the knowledge of God and his will that has, is, is at the very heart, is at the very core of the reason that God's wrath was being revealed against mankind. Romans 1, 18 through 21, and we've read this passage a number of times. Let me just, let's just look at it with this idea in mind. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against un, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. God's wrath is being revealed because we are sinners, right? That's the reality of it. We, we, we uh, who by their unrighteous, unrighteousness suppress the truth. In our sin, we suppress the truth that is true. I mean, we suppress the truth. We build out lies so, so, that, so, so that we can live in them. And we suppress the truth. We don't just deny it. We seek to squash it down. For what can be known about God is plain to them. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that, they have, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. He's saying that all people are without excuse because they have availability, accessibility to the knowledge that they need. They knew God, yet they rejected knowing him. He's plain to them, but they suppressed the truth of him. For although they knew God, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They knew God, but they did not honor him or give thanks to him. You see, the thing is, is that they knew about God. But they had believed lies. They had suppressed truth. <laughs> they didn't want to know God. See, Paul knows that, the, the, that, that knowledge plays a vital role role in God's work in us. He knows that, that knowledge is such an important piece of the process that, of God transforming our lives that knowledge is the primary request that Paul makes on the behalf of church after church after church. 
Paul knows that knowing God, knowing God and his will is what God will use to transform lives. So that's what he asked for. He asked for them to have knowledge. And here we are at the brink of starting this new ministry, and, and you've maybe read about the, right, about the classes that are starting. You may have heard talking about what we want to learn. The reality is we're students. We should be learning. There is a knowledge component, but it is my confident expectation to, to, to this end. It is my confident expectation that the Lord will do through our learning what he has done over and over and over through the history of his church, that as we learn to know him, he will radically transform us that will give way to radically transformed lives. Just as the testimonies of the churches have been for generations, just as the testimonies of the people that I've just read to you, just as the reality of what's promised really in this prayer, this, this request that Paul makes. And so we're going to study this prayer just a little bit closer. We're going to look at it according to three things, the request for knowledge, the results of that knowledge, and, and the reason that that knowledge is imperative. So we're going to start with the request for knowledge. And before we look at this prayer and break apart the particular request, I want to point out what's not there. I mean, as we read, he certainly makes some reference to difficulties that they may face. He makes some, some passing reference to the circumstances that they live in, but that is not the sum total of this prayer. In fact, he doesn't pray for one circumstance to change at all. To me, that's shocking. And, and I'll tell you why it's shocking, just to be completely vulnerable, to be completely transparent here, that is not often my prayer. I think if we're honest, that's probably not often most of our prayers. See, most of us probably look at a situation, we're asking God to change the circumstance, make this situation better, make it more bearable for us, make it easier, ha make, make it work out the way I want it to so that I can enjoy it the way I feel like I should. We seek to approach God from a circumstantial perspective. We seek to approach him in such a way that we want his power to change our circumstance. And that's not at all what Paul prays. In fact, in any of the prayers for the church, I don't, I don't, I don't think in any of his recorded prayers, and I could be wrong about this, I've not studied them all super deep, but, but I don't remember reading one of his prayers that, that specifically addresses major circumstantial change. i got to say this because it needs to be qualified. I, I'm making a hard point here. So I don't think it's wrong. I don't think it's that we shouldn't pray about the circumstances of our life. Jesus, before the cross, the night before the cross, he prays about the cross that he knows is coming. Right? He prays about a circumstance of his life, and then he gets up and he walks into whatever the Father's will is. Paul, in the letter to, Eph to the Ephesians, he tells them, pray for all the saints with all kinds of requests. So don't, don't misunderstand that we quit praying, that's not what I'm getting at. But in some way, our prayer should be informed in this way. See, Paul's primary request is a request for knowledge. He doesn't, he doesn't really seem to even address the external circumstances that the Colossians are facing, so much so that now people are left, these commentators are all left guessing at what Paul could be making reference to. They're trying to read into the words that he uses, trying to understand the motive for this particular prayer. 
See, Paul's biggest concern is the internal circumstance of the Colossian church. He's more concerned with their being and their living in light of the knowledge of God so that they are transformed to face whatever circumstance comes, whether good or bad, whether gain or loss. So that they can join him, just as he told the Philippians, that they can join him in this life of knowing plenty and knowing nothing. He's seeking to change, he's seeking a change of the person in their internal circumstance so that they can face whatever external circumstance comes. Brothers and sisters, listen, more than a new set of circumstances, Christians need to grow in knowing their God and his divine will that ordains their circumstance. You want to be prepared to live in whatever comes. It's not, it's not having control over the situation that you face. You want to be prepared to face the circumstance that you walk in. It is in knowing this God. He gets this. He understands it. And so his prayer is, is fully formed by this desire for knowledge. He wants these, Corinthians, or these Colossians to know this God. Now, I want to I look at this from a couple of different perspectives, three different perspectives. Paul's request for knowledge is not for limited knowledge. Look at what he asks for. He says, I want them to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom. He's using these terms of, of fullness and, and allness, like these universal truths. He's, I just want them to know it all. I want to be filled up completely by it. I mean, we can look at this as, as first about the quantity He's not just asking for a little bit of knowledge. He wants them to have all of it. And he even uses a word that's different than the, the, the regular Greek word for knowledge. Some places he uses the word gnosis. Some places he uses the word epinosis. And, and, and epinosis is the word he uses here. It's translated knowledge because that's what it is. But, but it infers, it intensifies the word. It infers that this is not just knowledge about something, but it's a deep and thorough knowledge of something. It's an experiential, intimate knowledge of something. You see, this sets a difference. It sets a different idea. It sets a different tone. This is not just some knowledge. This is knowledge, full knowledge that, that, that can be, to be benefited with all wisdom and understanding. There's this idea of this fullness of the quantity of knowledge. I want them to have it all. Don't hold anything back from them. And second, I would suggest that we could look at this, this, this limitless knowledge that he's praying for in terms of its, its effect. He isn't praying for knowledge that allows a person to just win a trivia game. In fact, it's funny. It happens every time we do something like this. We have a Bible trivia thing, and every time I'm involved in that, they think, oh, I want the preacher on my team because, you know, he'll help me win. I never win Bible trivia. I, I never win Bible trivia. I, I, maybe I shouldn't be proud of that. I, well, I'm not really proud of it, but I hate losing. But I don't win Bible trivia. I just don't. I, don't, I, can't, I can't remember numbers and names escape me. I, mean, I may have known you for a, in fact, I'll just use this as an example. I'm sitting here looking at Corey just a few months back. I'm calling him forward at the church. I can't even remember his name. I'm like, oh, goodness, really? It's terrible. I don't have a mind for trivia. But the Lord has caused me to know him so much. 
He has caused me to know him so intimately, so thoroughly, that it has radically upended my life, right-sided my life, redirected my life, however you want to think about it, however you want to qualify it. You see, the, the reality of what Paul's praying for is that they be filled by it. They be filled up. That they, The idea is influence. I don't know where I first heard this. I think it was probably John MacArthur years ago speaking about this word, filled. And he spoke of it in terms of wind in the sail of a boat. The boat moves because it's influenced by the wind. The wind feel, fills the sail and the boat can't help but move. That's the idea. That you don't have knowledge that's just floating around in your head waiting to, oh, there's my trivia question. I finally get to use that little tidbit. But it influences your life. It redirects you. It changes you. It transforms you. It renews you. It's a knowledge that motivates movement and direction. Paul wants the Colossians to know God so well, so deeply, so thoroughly, so intimately, so experientially, that this knowledge is the primary influence in their lives. And it's a prayer our church needs to hear and see answered. Not just our church. The church. In the same way that these Colossians were being confronted and overwhelmed by all kinds of other influences, we live in a, in a time and a place that is constantly seeking to influence us. We need all this knowledge because we need his influence. And next, is, is, he sees, he's not just praying for a little bit of limited knowledge. He's praying for limitless knowledge. Paul's request for knowledge is not for general knowledge at all. He's very specific in his request. Look at what he, he go back to it. He look at what he says. He says, "I want them to have knowledge of His will." He's looking for something very specific. He's not. He's not. Hey, man, I hope these people are really smart and can do lots of math. I hope these people are really intelligent and understand science and technology. I hope these people are really smart. I don't intend to diminish either of those studies. Don't, don't misunderstand. But I want to elevate. I want to lift up the knowledge of God and His will to a place that it belongs. More than we need to know science. More than we need to know math. More than we need to know our trade and our vocation. More than we need to know what the world says about whatever it says. We need to know God and His will. Don't hear me suggest that they don't have something to offer. But it is not more vital, it is not more pressing, it is not more important. The knowledge of God and His will. He speaks of this, He longs for them to know this. Well, what is this? I've been kind of hinting at God and His will. Let me just, let me just kind of clarify that for you. In his commentary on this passage, N.T. Wright, I saw N.T. and I almost said New Testament. N.T. Wright, I don't even know what N.T. stands for. N.T. Wright, made a, a, he makes a helpful statement here. The knowledge of God's will is more than simply an insight into how God wants his people to behave. Isn't that how we often treat it? Like we, we're seeking God's will in whether we should buy a house or buy, buy, rent an apartment. We're seeking God's will of whether we should take this job or take that job. We're seeking God's will in all these d- 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 uh, definite and, and specific situations. 
The knowledge of God's will is more than simply an insight into how God wants his people to behave. It is an understanding of God's whole saving purpose in Christ. That's the way that these people would have understood God's will. That's the way Paul would have said God's will. That's what he would have meant. He wouldn't have been saying, hey, you need to know God's will in every specific detail of your life so that you know who to marry, when to marry, uh, how many kids to have, whether or not you should have kids. We're always trying to figure out the specifics of God's will when, when what we need to understand is the bigness of God's will so that we can live in it. So that we can live in response to it, regardless of what we do. The knowledge of God's will is more than simply insight into how God wants his people to behave. It is an understanding of God's whole saving purpose in Christ. And hence, a knowledge of God himself. Listen, Paul isn't praying for us to know God's will so that we can figure out some formula. So that we can, oh, if I do this, I get this. He's not asking for us to understand, know God's will so that we can figure out the way, his, his particular path that we're supposed to follow. He's praying for us to know God's will so that we can better know God. Think of it like this. He is asking that God would reveal his mind to his people. If you know God's mind, you know God. So Paul's request isn't for limited knowledge, but limitless knowledge. It's not for general knowledge. It's for specific knowledge. Paul's request for knowledge is not for knowledge alone. Now, the first piece of this I want you to see is that he's not speaking to a people who don't already have some knowledge. He's speaking to a people who already know Christ. In fact, you can see this in the whole context of this. He starts out, verse 9, And so, from the day we heard... We have not ceased to pray for you. And then what do we pray? We pray for knowledge that gives way to all these other things. From the day we heard what? Well, if you go back up into the context, if you just scan up just a little bit to verse 4, well, verse 3, just to get the context, he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now, he's about to tell them what that prayer is, but when we pray for you, since we heard, here we go, now we're about to understand what's led to this prayer for knowledge. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. And the idea here is that they already have some knowledge. You know the worst thing we can do to, to, to people who are lost without faith? is make them believe that knowing God and knowing about God is enough. See, we can teach God as if he's a subject in school. And I can sit down with people and I can give them doctrines and I can give them talking points and I can, I can help them see how the Bible kind of fits together. You can too. But if it's not a knowledge that finds itself in faith that then builds out in greater knowledge then that knowledge only condemns them further. See, he's praying this for people who already have a knowledge and a faith in that knowledge that's saved them. I want you to be filled by it. I want you to be influenced by it. I want you to have all of it. See, it's unfortunate in this day and age, in this time of structuring everything and systematizing everything, 
that in many ways we've systematized the process of salvation, that if you can just answer the right questions, then you must be a Christian. I lived that life for years and years and years. In fact, I used that to keep people from bugging me because I wanted nothing more to, I, I wanted to know nothing more about God. But I could tell you what he did on the cross, but I didn't believe it. I knew about it, but I didn't know it. Not in the way he's calling us to know it. See, Paul isn't asking for knowledge in and of itself. He's asking for knowledge that increases upon the knowledge that's required for faith. Faith requires knowledge. John Calvin, in his, in his uh, Institutes of the Christian Religion, says faith consists not in ignorance, but in knowledge. Knowledge not of God merely, but of the divine will. In a sense, Paul is just saying, now that you've believed, I want you to fully know now that you believe this, I want you to fully know it so that you can know Him better. Know God and know His will. You see, he's not simply saying knowledge is the answer. Knowledge that leads to faith, that leads to increasing knowledge. That's what Paul wants. But he also adds to it in his request, and we step back down into the prayer, he adds to it spiritual wisdom and understanding. He wants knowledge with spiritual wisdom, all spiritual wisdom, and understanding. This is, this is an ability to, to discern what's important about the knowledge, to discern what the knowledge means to be able to use it. Spurgeon writes, Wisdom is, I suppose, the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Lots of people know stuff. But they don't know what they're doing with what they know. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the more fools for what they know. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. Before the Lord opened my eyes to the fact that I was a wretched sinner, before he regenerated my soul that I might believe in him and trust upon him, I was a knowing fool. I was raised in a church up until I was about nine years old, my dad was a preacher. We had family devotions, and I had this list of questions that I could answer. In a sense, he catechized us, right? Like, I don't even know if that's really a word, but that's what he, he taught us kind of the, from the confessions of the faith. He taught us different catechisms. He, we knew the answers. And I was a knowing fool. I was a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom, Spurgeon says. You see, I didn't know anything about how to use the knowledge I'd been given. I could misuse it. I could misappropriate it. I could, I could make myself feel comfortable in certain situations. I could get myself out of other situations. But I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't even really understand what it meant for my eternity, even though that's what it was all about. Paul's desire is that they not be those, un, or those knowing fools. Paul's desire for the church, our church even, if he met us, I have, no, I have no doubt of this. Paul's desire is that we have this knowledge, that we would be able to use it, that we'd be able to apply it 
that we would come to know this God and his will, and it would fill us in such a way that we'd be able to use it and apply it in life and, and, and then confident to see the results that come from it. In fact, this is the primary request. I, in, in, the, in the English language, we break it up, we give punctuation, we seek to provide that for some level of understanding. But you should know these nine, verses 9 through 14, and one long sentence, like 218 words or something like that, one long sentence all run together. And it seems to be, in the original language, that the primary request, the purposeful request, is for knowledge with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then everything that comes after that is built on this request for knowledge and understanding. He has a desire in the, that there is a real result of this knowledge that he's praying for. Paul doesn't want just knowing about God for the sake of being able to recite true things about God. The Pharisees could do that already. He'd grown up around those people. No, I don't want that for you. All kinds of people can do that. The kind of knowledge of God that Paul is praying for, that he's seeking God to provide, will influence their life. It will change them radically and transform them completely. What they, Paul knows that what they think in their heads will be believed in their hearts and will be put into action by their hands. He highlights this by adding to his prayer. I long for you to, to be filled with knowledge. I pray to God that you'd be filled with knowledge. And look what he says. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. We can't spend much time on these. I just want to kind of give you an explanation. The implication here is that to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to be fully pleasing to Him, we must have this knowledge that Paul is praying for. He must give us this knowledge. God must do in us. He must give us what we need to do what He expects us to do. He's the source of it all. So Paul seeks this knowledge so that they can be the people they've been called to be. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So he wants them living a, a life that's pleasing to God, right? He wants them enabled by this knowledge to live a life pleasing to God. And then he wants them to bear fruit in every good work. So that as they go out to, to live in an honorable way, to, to live in a manner that's worthy of their calling, that the fruit of that is borne out. That may be internal fruit, but I think specifically this is speaking of the external fruit that becomes beneficial to everyone around them. Apple treats don't benefit from their fruit, right? They don't benefit from the fruit that they're, that they're bearing out. Everyone that comes to the apple tree and takes an apple is able to enjoy the fruit. I believe this is what Paul's referring to. He's referring to a life that the fruit of God's work in us by this knowledge is borne out so that it's a blessing to everyone else. And that when they're with us, it's as good as sitting down and enjoying a crisp, juicy apple. Not some mushy thing with worms inside. He then says that, that, that this knowledge, having this knowledge, living a life pleasing to God, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in knowing God. It's like there's this compounding effect. Just like compounding interest, right? As you're, as you're putting money away, you want compounding interest because it increases upon itself. It becomes, it becomes um, when you multiply things, I can't think of the word all of a sudden. Exponential. Thank you very much. It becomes exponential. So it's not just doubling. I mean, it's, it's like 10 to the 10th power kind of stuff going on. 
that as you have been given this knowledge by him, that you begin to really grow in knowing him, and then that knowledge begins to bring you into this understanding and this wisdom of, of walking into the presence of an eternal and glorious and beautiful God who we will not know completely this side of heaven, who we will spend eternity getting to know because he's infinite in his ways and in his being. And our finite, our finite, finite minds can't completely understand him, but we need all of this knowledge from God with all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we can continue growing in him. This is the work that he started in us. He fills us with his knowledge so that he can complete the work of us growing in knowing him. We need his knowledge to do that. And then he says, strengthened by his power. Now, in some of the translations you read, they, they seek to make that a second, a second request. And it almost seems that way in the ESV. May you be strengthened. It almost seems, sounds like he picks up the second idea. But, but in the original language, it's almost impossible to really discern that. And I began asking myself, well, how in the world does knowledge have anything to do with his power? And as I studied and read and, and listened to others who are much wiser than me deal with this, this, this prospect, the reality is, that we have to know God to even understand and enjoy His power. Let me put it like this. You know, we're so quick to, to seek to get out of difficult circumstances because they're difficult, right? Like that's just the way they are. They're, they're difficult to deal with. So we want to get out of them. The reality is, is that as we know God more, as we experience Him more, we begin to see that it's in those difficult circumstances that we most fully experience His power. For many of us, the reason that we don't fully enjoy, that we're not able to endure and be patient with joy. The reason that we're not able to do that is because we think God's in some way held back his power, but God has not held back his power. We just don't know him. We're not as influenced by him as we seem to think we are. Now, this is heavy, and I, I know that there might be in your mind right now, oh, no, no you didn't. The knowledge of God... That comes with the knowing of his power, the experience of his power, the, the, the realization that when I step into this, he is for me, not against me. You see, the reality is we, we long to see God work in, in miracles. I, I, I want to see powerful miracles. But in knowing God, you are walking in the only miracle you need to realize. He showed himself to you in Jesus Christ. That is the eternal miracle wrought by his power. What more does he need to do for you? We wrestle with not experiencing God's power, not because he's not expressed his power, but because we don't know him. I long for you to know this God. This knowledge that, that gives way to a life pleasing to God, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in knowing him, gives way to an experience of his power that for many of us we are missing.
that then gives way to growing in gratitude. You see how he kind of finishes off that prayer request. He's like giving thanks, giving thanks to the Father, not to just anybody, but to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. This is an attitude. This is a, 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 a growing in honoring God and thanking Him. It's a life of worship. It's a life that expresses honor and gratitude to the God we know. These are the results. This is what Paul says knowing God will do naturally in our lives. We can't make it up. We can't force it. We can't do anything to build it on our own. We must find it after finding a knowledge of God, after knowing Him intimately, uh, uh, experientially, thoroughly, and deeply as we know God in His divine will. These things will come. So where they're lacking, it's not, a, it's not a law to give, it's not a demand to make, it's to say, hey, can, can we just be disciples again and learn to know this God? That's the call, that's what Peter's pray, or Paul is praying for, that's what he longs for these people to know. Because this knowledge of God in his will is absolutely necessary for life. John Stott, in a book called Your Mind Matters, writes this, Knowledge is indispensable to the Christian life and service. If we do not use the mind which God has given us, we condemn ourselves to spiritual superficiality and cut ourselves off from, the many, from many of the riches of God's grace. At the same time, knowledge is given, to, given us to be used to lead us to higher worship, greater faith, deeper holiness, better service. Did you hear that? Now, he wasn't writing this book with this prayer in mind, but it's what stuck out to me. Is what drew me back to this. At the same time, knowledge is given to us, given us to be used to lead us to higher worship. Gratitude. Knowing God's power. It's given, given to us to bring us to higher worship, greater faith, and experience of his, of his power in the midst of very difficult circumstances that we might endure and, and be patient with joy. It's given to us to be used to lead us to higher worship, greater faith, deeper holiness, so that we would live in a way that honors Him, so that we would bear fruit in every good work, better service. What we need is not less knowledge, but more knowledge, so long as we act upon it. Knowledge that just provides knowledge is deadly. It's deadly. But knowledge that leads us to, us to a life that worships God is necessary and that's the kind of knowledge that Paul is praying for and that's the kind of knowledge he expects to bear these kind of results. And let me just, let me just bring this to a close with this last thought, the reason for it. Why is it necessary? Now you may already feel ready to answer that question because I've said a number of things about what make it necessary. I'm missing these results in my life, then I recognize I need to know God more fully. But Paul doesn't leave us in a place where we get to kind of make those things up. I've sought to bring application, but he doesn't leave us in a place where we get to kind of make those things up on our own. He brings us to a place at the close of this prayer that he settles for us once and for all why we need to have this knowledge of God and his will. Look at it in verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in Him, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. More than a new set of circumstances, Christians need to grow in knowing their God and His divine will that ordains their circumstance because He delivers us. 
He did it. He did this work in us. He brought us out of one kingdom and into another kingdom. He changed us from uh, the kingdom of darkness and put us in the kingdom of light. The reality is this. We are no longer defined as we were defined before. We are no longer the same people we were before. There's a whole, net, a whole new set of ways to think and live and do. The, the, the wisdom of the world is no longer good enough for us. The wisdom and, and thoughts and plans of the world are no longer an, enough for us. We must have knowledge that is part of the eternal kingdom of light. We cannot look to the world for our answers anymore. If we are going to be able to live as children of the king, citizens in this new kingdom, we need knowledge from the king. It is the only way it works. To look to the world and its answers will only cause us to continue to run in circles of the world. We must have this knowledge because he has delivered us from one kingdom to another. He has re-identified us as citizens of a new kingdom, as children of this king. And so we must seek his knowledge. We must know him. We need knowledge of God. We need knowledge of his will. More than we need a new set of circumstances because he has redeemed us. This is language of being bought out of a slave market. This language about, uh, about having been purchased, about having been bought. He had to pay the debt for our sin. It cost him. He had to purchase our righteousness from his own wrath. We need to know this. Because if we don't know this, and we don't know it more fully, and we don't believe it more completely, we will always be seeking to pay our own bill. We will never find rest in the truth of God's gospel. We need to know this more than having a new set of circumstances because He forgave us. Now, here it said often, we need to learn to figure of our, forgive ourselves. In fact, if you've been in a counseling session, in a, I'm going to use the word, I don't necessarily like the word, but a secular counseling session, in many cases you'll get told, you know what you really need? You just really need to forgive yourself. I think that's a load of crap. If you are outside of Christ, that may be something you need to figure out how to do. Because that's all you got. But in Christ, what you need more than anything is to know that he has fully forgiven you. In fact, to decide that I need to forgive myself, I believe he's forgiven me, but to decide that I need to learn to forgive myself and, and not trust his forgiveness more is to say that my forgiveness of myself is more important than his forgiveness of me. He forgave you. Your sins separated as far as the east is from the west. They will never touch again, never be held against you again. You stand completely clean, white as the new driven snow. Absolutely no shifting sand or no shifting darkness in you because of Christ. He does not see your sin. It was nailed to Christ and or nailed to the cross with your Christ. 
nothing there anymore. He has forgiven you. We need to know this because it frees us. It frees us to walk in that forgiveness than constantly carrying a weight of guilt that is not ours to bear. You know why so many Christians struggle with life in the church and why they're looking for ways out? Because they don't know how to walk in the forgiveness that is in Christ. They walk into this room, they see a bunch of people that they can't see their lives that have dressed up and put on their Sunday go-to-church clothes and their Sunday go-to-church faces, and they think, I'm the only one with sin. That's a lie. They haven't learned to, to, to walk in the forgiveness that comes from Christ, the full, complete acceptance of God in Christ because he has paid the price in full and he has completely removed it from their account. See, so we need this knowledge because in the end it makes us able to see that not only is he the author, he is the finisher. He is the one that substantiates. He's the one that puts it in us. He's the one that builds it out in us. He's the one that sanctifies us. He's the one that makes it possible for us to be who He called us to be. He's the one that makes us po- makes it possible for us to walk in any level of confidence. He's the one that removes the sense of inadequacy. He's the one that takes us out of darkness and puts us into light. He's the one that gives us knowledge to know Him better. He's the one that grows us in the knowing of Him. He is the one, brothers and sisters, and so as we stand here on the brink of launching a whole new ministry. Let me just tell you why I want you to know it. Because as your pastors, we can come to you with a law. We can come to you with demands. We can seek to manipulate and give you guilt. But that is not our heart. Instead, we can teach you and we can facilitate more teaching to you of the God who is and what he's done so that he can do his work in you and grow you up, make you more fully, mature you more completely, and mobilize you for his glory that his worship is multiplied in our city. And to me, there's no other reason to get up in the morning. So we're going to start and equip with the hope the confident expectation that God will do what only he can do as he fills us with his knowledge. So let's pray, right? But let's pray this. Let's pray Paul's prayer for each other, for ourselves. Father, fill us with the knowledge of your will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we can walk in a manner worthy of you, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every work you give us to do and increasing in how deeply we know you. Would you strengthen us in that knowledge by your power so that according to your glorious might, so that we can endure and be patient with joy, always giving thanks to you who has qualified us to stand in your presence, who has brought us out of the the miry muck of the clay and put us on solid ground, the one who has taken us out of darkness and put us in his marvelous light. 
We're needy. We need you to do this as we step in to seek to know you. So would you work? Pray these things, Jesus, in your name, for your fame and spirit, by your power. Amen.